0: to another episode of fantasy baseball buds we are very close to the start of major league baseball 2023's season we are coming up on about five days now richie and i are recording sunday before the start of the regular season it is march 26. richie what is going on buddy
1: well jordan walker has made the mm-hmm. opening day roster so that's exciting news i'm curious to see how far he rises up draft boards um our draft was completed in our dynasty league that you guys might have heard us talk about uh, plenty of times and then your boy luisa reno is injured again but outside of that um kenna's doing good she's growing up on me <laughs> a little too fast causing
0: and, uh, the draft to be paused which is why we don't have a, yes yes so we had to a draft postpone the condition. draft 10 minutes <laughs> I mean, this is like how parenting is, you know, like I think we get to live vicariously through you this year and like as kind of gets older. um, And again, as I've said to you and I'll say to the listener here, um, makes me look so eagerly excited for when I have children. Not really. Um, But yeah, for those those of you that are parents, like, you know, we're getting older and like fantasy baseball has been a really big part of our lives. But like the baby comes first and that's kind of obvious.
1: Yeah, I wanna I wanna trade her in for the world. Love the girl to death. Um, what about Garrett It is no <laughs> for my firstborn. Get out of here. Uh, it is nice being the commissioner though, because that is one perk I was able to enforce was uh, being able to pause the draft for ten minutes. So um, I will I will say that. But well,
0: uh, let's talk a little bit about this draft, Richie. So, again, we were going to record the draft, and we were kind of going to do some analysis, but with everything that kind of got thrown for a wrench, it just didn't happen. And then you add in the expletives that I continued to throw around. It was <laughs> basically uneditable at, as it was. So um, I think you and I both were pretty happy with our drafts. I think you probably were more successful with following your plan. So I guess first and foremost, kind of talk to us about you know what you went into the draft with in regards to your strategy. Uh, and then kind of how that shifted throughout the draft itself and how you feel overall about what you ended up with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll start off by saying this is our Dynasty League, so majority of the players are being kept. There was three big names that were available, Max Scherzer, Mike Trout, and Bryce Harper. So my original plan was you have to go and get one. This is a very pitching dominant league everybody is craving pitching they're trying to get it so i had 65 dollars to spend for nine players so i think my max bid was 57 or 58 dollars. so i think you saw this too matt i just hit plus one until i hit my max bid on scherzer and i got knocked out real quick he ended up going for 77 dollars. then mike trout got nominated shortly after i hit plus one until I bid out, and I think he actually went for 57 or 58 because it was me and one other guy going for him. And then Giancarlo Stanton, of all people, gets nominated. And I was like, okay, part of my draft is to get an outfielder for less than $10 if I don't get Bryce Harper. And knowing the rule of thumb with auction drafts, usually the very first player that's nominated goes for a little bit less than what they should. So I was like, okay, if I can get Giancarlo for less than $10, I'm going to swoop in and just get it because who knows what's going to happen with Bryce Harper. Ended up getting Giancarlo Stanton for $9, which I think is, it's not a steal, but it's not overpaying. I think that's right around what he's worth. And then Bryce Harper gets nominated, and it was you and me, Matt. And I ended up getting him for $33, but it was you and me going back and forth and my max bid for him was going to be $37 before Giancarlo Stanton after that i did some quick math and i was going to stop at 35 let's talk about what happened when Bryce Harper got nominated and what you were thinking at that time cuz i know that was a big piece of your strategy
0: yeah so coming into the draft um, I wanted Harper as a price point. My price point originally was twenty eight dollars. I always am willing to fluctuate about five. This was five to seven, um, on each player depending on like really what I feel like they're gonna solidify my team with. And for Harper, my question marks were okay. We have the injury. The designation on ESPN is only DH. Um, you know, Dimbrowski came out and said they're not putting him on the 60 day IL because they they want to keep themselves fluid and they want to keep the ability for if he comes back early to bring him back early. And then from what I've heard from his camp was, no, we're waiting till he's fully healthy. We're waiting until he can go out and actually play the field. So, like, there's this deviation between both camps. And I didn't like that a whole lot. And what I really was looking at was like, OK, DH is great. It's Bryce Harper but that doesn't allow me the same kind of roster flexibility I would like if he were outfield eligible. And the idea if I got Harper at a value set point would be essentially to let Aaron Judge walk th- in the off season this coming year. So it's going into the 2024 season, who is, you know, $50. That's our franchise price point for both pitcher and hitter. And I would keep Harper for say 33, 34, 35. I'd have a $15 kind of variance there that I could play with for other pieces. And as y- you and I were bidding, I just said to myself, you know what, like at this price point, $38 for Bryce Harper going into next year, I'd rather spend $12 and have Aaron judge. So oh. that's really what was in my thought process as we were bidding. Like as we got even every dollar over 30, it was like, okay, it's probably rather have judge here. And at $33 looking at him being $38 next year, it is that $12 piece. And it's like, what can $12 really buy me? probably a relief pitcher or my second to last bench piece That's and fair. and I, I like him f- i like him for what you got you know you your team is structured differently than mine like adding that hitter when you compare both of our teams actually brings you right in line with what i have but i have some pieces like jordan alvarez which i think is around the, f- the 20 dollar 15 dollars threshold where it's like i'm getting value already um and then my secondary piece, I wanted Shane or I wanted Walker Bueller. and those price points just, they exceeded, again, that value threshold that I got, and uh, that I had originally marked them for. And it's interesting, because this is something I had completely forgotten about, and I, I had known about during the off season, like, vaguely was in the back of my head, but I forgot that Walker Bueller had his second Tommy John surgery. Oh, this you time. weren't aware of that. Uh, it was like in the back of my head, but during the draft, completely out of my head. You know, it was one of those things where I was like, "A Walker Buehler is going to come back. It's not going to be a problem. You know, I, I had said the 2025 season is my expectation for him to be back as a dominant ace. That's year 30 for his age. And I was like, you'll get, you know, three, probably three solid prime years out of him. But then again, when I heard from the CBS guy I said, oh, yes, this is his second. I was like, damn, that makes me feel so much better that I ended up not getting him because I would have some deep concern if I had drafted him at my value, you know, target price, which was 25. And then, you know, come to find out and learn yet again that, oh, no, he has he has a lot of risk attached to him. And I I just think there is, you know, yes, guys have had multiple Tommy Johns. But like you look at Verlander, he had his quite a few years apart. You know, his second one was as he was aging in his veteran years, like you can kind of just chalk it up at that point, and he got lucky. Um, so just something to be very, like, cautious of if you're still drafting and you're looking in Dynasty Leagues to target an individual like Walker Buehler. I think the team that got him needed him. Um, definitely overpaid, though.
1: Yeah, uh, the one thing I'll mention before I move on on Bryce Harper was my outlook on it was, okay, I can keep – Ronald Acuna for fifty next year. And where do I come up with the cap space for Bryce Harper next year? And I was looking right at Eloy Jimenez, who I ended up keeping for twenty six bucks, but he's on the last year of his contract. So no matter what, he's going back in the draft, whether he's healthy or not. So he's off my team one way or another. So I figured, okay, I'll spend twelve dollars extra, slot Bryce Harper into there and I'll figure out the rest of my salary elsewhere. So have a nice one two punch with Ronald Acuna and Bryce Harper, hopefully next year.
0: Do you ever look back on these drafts and think to yourself that's not <clears throat> the price that I remember him being? I'm looking at Walker Beeler right now at $26 and like when we were drafting, it had hit a point even earlier than what it shows this manager drafting him at that I was like, nope, I'm out. And 20- It was like
1: 21 or 22 and you just jump into like 25. And I was just like, okay, yep, Matt, Matt is not bidding anymore. Uh, so if this guy it.
0: I see what, ha- yeah, you're right. Cause that was my price. And like, as soon as Tanner went in, I, I was, must've just been like, nope, I hit my, 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 price cap, you know, like, yeah, it's $31 going into next year is not bad, but again, like for what he has, you know, like mm-hmm. $31 for me is a pretty big hit. When you talk about the players I already have, like in the right. decision that I'd have to make, um, who else did you really like getting in your draft? Like what were some of the other names that you really like were, were stoked on? I, we talked a little bit about Baz. I know you're excited to have him this year.
1: Yeah. So my other target was Shane Baz. Um, on, on, Full disclosure, I did not think that he'd be in my roadmap after I had got Bryce Harper and Jean Carlos Stanton. I did not think I had the budget because originally I was targeting Miguel Vargas and Trevor Story, and I had about 10 to $15, a little fluctuation there for both of them. And when Shane Baz came up, I just was like a kid in a candy shop, and I was like, I got to just see if I can get him for my price point, which was $15, Matt. And it was you and I, once again, I think yours was eight or $9 and yep. you stopped at 13. And I don't know if I was scaring you away, but I w- as soon as you bid, I was hitting plus one immediately, like no hesitation. And I don't know if that psychologically played a role with you, but I figured if I could do that, maybe it'll scare you off a little bit, but I wasn't quite sure on what you would do. Um, but if you would have won $16, I would have been out. That would have been the price point for you to have to win him
0: yeah i have taken um injury risks over the last three or four years you know the only name that i can really think of at the moment is chris sale um jack flaherty last year i redrafted with the lat injury and I, i've just i've done this game before i guess is what i'm getting at and it's not the strategy you took it's that i've been burned and i've done this in fantasy football as well for years you know my taking the michael thomas taking the deandre hopkins like taking the guy that i'm like okay whence he's back like i'm set and it's never i don't think it's ever really worked you know um it just hasn't like i'm always left with a disappointment in a hole that i was supposed to be filled by you know x player and then x player either comes back or doesn't and they're just not what i wanted them to be so that being said shane baz and walker buehler fall right into that for me it was like I just I don't have the same kind of excitement and, um, and hope for these guys that I used to because I've been burned so many times. Um, and, and That's is- fair.
1: But to the counterpoint, I just want to hear my perspective on the situation. So I was fully in on Justin Verlander two years ago, got sniped on him by the team that formally took over Jason's team before he ended up letting him walk in the draft and you ultimately getting him. So I missed out on him. Won a Chris Sale last year. But you got him clearly. So, this was the guy that I wanted outside of Walker Bueller, but I knew he was not in the picture for me. So, it's like, okay, this can be my long term Tommy John project. And I originally wasn't going to go for him. And then I saw what was happening in the draft. And Max Scherzer going for 77, Walker Bueller going for 26. You got guys like Jose Barrios going for $22, Cal Quantrill going for $16. Andres Munoz for $15. Let's see. Um, there, were, there were some other guys out there that went for astronomical prices. Uh, Charlie Morton for 42 Blake Snell for 36 So in my mind, I was like, okay, yeah, he's going to maybe pitch half a season next year. But that's $18. I think that's reasonable. If he can really live up to his potential of a full-time ace, then getting him for twenty three bucks the following year is going to look like a steal compared to what pitching goes for in these drafts when they're on the wire. So that was kind of my logic behind it.
0: Yeah, no, and I I don't think you're wrong. Um, I had the money, and if I had the roster space, I think genuinely, I would have pursued him even a little bit more because I, I don't remember what I ended the draft with. It, it, pff, maybe ten bucks, but that's ten bucks that I could have taken away from Flaherty and switched to Baz. Anyways. When looking at our keeper sheets here, I ended up keeping one more player than you did. And that is the difference in Shane Bass. Um, and this is something you and I have spoken about a lot, especially in the podcast, You know, when dealing with the, the kind of format that we do in our Dynasty League on ESPN, where we don't have minor league slots and we've just added extra bench spots throughout the years to kind of equate for what those minor league spots would be. When you accumulate a number of prospects that you really like, and you essentially look at them and say, well, I can't trade them yet, but I also can't drop them because they, you know, we talked about it right before we jumped on, like Jackson Holiday, Ali La Cruz, you know, Drew Jones. They're just names that you can't drop. So it leaves you in a very tough position when you go into the draft because it's like you're counting every single player that you're bidding on with the idea that, like, you only have so many roster spots. You know, I went to the draft with Casey Myers as my number one must get. Who didn't I draft? Casey Myers, because he just completely went over my head, right? Like, ended up getting him on the wire. But point being here is, like, if I get Baz, now maybe I don't get Michael Kopeck or Mackenzie Gore, who were guys that were also absolute must-gets. Well, Kopech wasn't, but let's say Spencer Torkelson. Um, things that, you know, just go into the equation where it, it's it's hard to, to really look back and, and think to yourself, like, man, Baz at $13 is a steal because he is. In the moment, to me, he wasn't. That that's
1: fair, and then for the rest of my draft was trying to maximize all of these injured players. So I was targeting, a Liam Hendricks, Edwin Diaz, um, who else did I have? Trevor Story was on that list. Um, Frankie Montas were the main targets for me. Um, you spite got Frankie Montas taken away from me, and Edwin Diaz and Liam Hendricks, which just went more than what I could afford. I was trying to get them for a dollar. Uh, I did end up with Shane Baz, which we mentioned, but I did get ended up with Trevor Story for a dollar. And that was pretty much all I got for the injured list people that I was targeting. So not as many as I wanted, but I'll take it. Cause I ended up with Harper, Shane Baz, Trevor Story as those guys I can stash. And I wanted to leave that extra room so that I could have some waiver wire pickup guys.
0: Yeah. And you ended up getting Lars new bar for a dollar, which would have been a guy I would have just on, Principal alone bid you up on if again I wasn't dealing with roster space you know like I absolutely could not get stuck with Lars it was something that I, it would it would tank my entire draft um, and you got him for a dollar because no one else in the league has any fucking idea how to do their jobs properly and <laughs> that was you know something that I, I thought was a huge steal because you and I I think both aren't buyers on this Lars Newbar industry pump but f- if for some reason they're finally right putting their Statcast cast data into implementing, you know, on the field success and projections. Lars could be a really nice player for you and a guy that you, now at a dollar you have to hang over the heads of the rest of the league for in a trade chip, you know. And uh, I just think it's kind of nice that there's once in a while these high, high end breakout candidates um, that that can just be steals.
1: Yeah, we'll see about Lars Newbar. I'm i I'm curious. The other portion of my plan was to get a backup third baseman because I do roster Josh Young. And as much as I believe in the hype, I do like to have a little bit of insurance. So my first primary target was Anthony Rendon, which after talking with you after the draft, I realized there's no way you were going to let me have him based on what he was doing in spring training. But the other backups were Alec Bohm, And Brian Hayes. And once I got Giancarlo Stan and Shane Baz, that went right out the window. There was not enough roster spot. I think my max bid was $3, which I ended up getting Catel Marte for. So thank you for blessing me with that, Matt, because I did need to fill second base. And I thought for sure that you'd bid me up on him, and I wasn't going to be able to get him. Um, But, yeah, I just had to deviate from that plan because as much as you go into a draft with a roadmap or uh something that you want to target it goes out the window you you never know what emotions and what other players and owners are thinking in the moment and how it's going to affect your draft
0: yeah and that kind of goes right back to what we were talking about with like roster construction and you know roster spots i think you talking about the third base position and trying to have that fallback is really more challenging a with the, bun- the money you had, and then B, the idea that, hey, you ha- need one more roster spot to be able to still get the stories and the other guys that you want to IL, knowing that you have to roster them before you can IL them. And again, goes back into the idea of like, is prospect A, B, or C actually worth that roster spot? So for me, um, when we went into the draft, something that really frustrated me upon logging in was seeing that I had Jose Miranda as a keeper, and ESPN chose to auto-designate him as my first baseman pushing Vinny Pasquantino into my bench role, which to me was something I had never kind of played into. I had gone in with the idea I'll have four bench spots available to draft. Now, lo and behold, I only have three available to me because Vinny P and Miranda swap out. It It was really hard. So now I'm going into the draft with the idea that I also then have to draft a third baseman, which the whole premise was Jose Miranda will be my third baseman. And it's like, I didn't roadmap any third baseman into this. So it's like, okay, well... I have no choice but to do some quick research and find out a, maybe a, you know, a buy high guy that I'm really excited about now, you know, five minutes before we're supposed to draft. And as well, as I was doing some research, um, Brian Hayes came up obviously with his progression this spring, you know, added power. And then Anthony Rendon, Anthony Rendon had an absolute amazing spring, two home runs, had OPS around 1200. And again, it's spring training. I don't want to put a lot into that, but I'm looking for a bounce back from Rendon. I think with, the idea that he signed that massive contract we're destined to see one more good year from him whether it's this year or next year and I was kind of buying into the idea it's like well shit I got to get this third baseman anyways I might as well go for the guy I really like and that would be Rendon because we've seen him have a track record of success before the juice ball as well as the juice ball he is at the age of 33 season which is a little bit concerning right for me he's got maybe two years left this year next year um but five dollar bid on him ended up being you know where i got him at i was probably willing to go up to 15 or 20 and really kind of sink my budget into him um because i had to and that just goes right back into you know the classification of where you're drafting the platform espn yahoo cbs you know you sometimes run into those things because it's a it's an auto-generated lineup before the draft and definitely was interested in bohm was interested in brian hayes only if rendon ended up sneaking out of that you know that price pocket window for me
1: yeah moving on from third base the one player outside of harper trout or scherzer that i really wanted and it was my must-have guy and that was clark schmidt uh reliever for the new york yankees but he's now in the rotation spot because they have three guys down and i just like what he did in the off season, he's added some velocity to his fastball and added a cutter as well as a change his slider into more of a sweeper. So now he's got three effective pitches and the results have been phenomenal for the most part in spring training. I believe last time I checked, he had like 17 strikeouts in 12 innings pitched. His ERA is a little bit high because I think there was one outing where he was his very first tune up. He gave up like three or four runs. So his ERA is like closer to three or four. But overall, I like having um, him with that strikeout ability, and I'm curious to see, is he the next Kyle Wright? Is he the next Carlos Rodon of this year? I have no idea, but I don't want to wait until the waiver wire because he's going after pick 400 in most drafts. So if there is a guy that fits that profile, in my mind, it was Clark Schmidt, and I wasn't going to wait till the waiver wire to pick him up.
0: Yeah, and I, I like the the pitch mix that he's changed changed up. You know, as soon as you put a bid on him and won him, you know, my first comment was obviously that you'd like the cutter action. <laughs> and uh, I think that got you a r- little razzed up because that was a big piece for him. And, you know, that's been kind of floating around in other publications is that the Yankees bullpen coach actually has been pushing the cutter on a lot of the Yankee staff. And Clark has gotten a lot of improved uh, movement as well as placement from that cutter. And I, I think there's definitely upside there, and I think you were right to draft him, especially going into the season where if you look at most waiver wires, you can't really pinpoint a Kyle Wright or a Carlos Rodon. You know, when you, guys that were former top prospects with the pedigrees of possibly becoming aces and, and just haven't figured it out, I think this is a weird year where, like, it's just not floating on the wire. But Clark Schmidt actually f- kind of falls into that build. If I'm correct, he was either the Yankees' one or two prospect organizationally ranked and it just hasn't worked out for him and those are the guys we love right from age 26 on that's kind of the the age pocket that we like i think if i'm correct schmidt's either 27 or 28 now and then you have all the injuries so i think jumping on him was great um i i view him kind of like a better version of jamison tyone with the strikeout ability now right like i think you'll
1: take that at the end of the draft
0: yeah for sure and and listen like you're on a good team like if he gets five, six innings, and you're not getting a quality start, but you're getting a win, you're getting high strikeouts, like obviously kind of offsets itself, but he also has the ability now, I think of being like the third or fourth starter in this rotation. So those injuries have definitely helped him. And um, again, talking about end of drafts, you know, dollar bids, you've got to try and hit some home runs. And I think Schmidt might be a guy that you, you actually have some value in.
1: We will see, but that that pretty much wraps up. Our recap of our teams, unless you want to, I mean, you basically rebuilt your former squad after your plan went out the window.
0: Yeah, I mean, my other picks, I had to get a relief pitcher. I got Kenley Jansen. Absolutely hated the pick. I didn't want Kenley Jansen. It was more of like a, let's just kind of jump up in the bids here. And I got him for $6, which whatever. Um, I really was bad. I didn't get Inglacius, especially with money left over in the draft. Hey, he's injured now, so you're good. (laughs) But he got hurt. So (laughs) that kind of took care of that concern for me um Jorge Polanco I bid you up on got him for three dollars was the last second baseman I actually wanted I couldn't just I just couldn't bring myself to allow you to have him for far less than you would have kept him for um so I mean I'll be happy with that pick come June Jack Flaherty for 17 uh, I would have kept him for 20 so I saved three dollars I saved more importantly a contract year if he does rebound Rendon for five Torkelson for nine so I lost three dollars there if I had kept him but again more important for me was Uh, keeping a contract year if he breaks out and if he doesn't he's gone Kopech I got for four resetting that value in that contract Uh, Nick Martinez at RP for for a sparp at a dollar and then Gore for seven dollars again contractually it would have been exact same for keeper Uh, the sparp was interesting I really didn't want Martinez Uh, I wanted either Martinez or I wanted with is it Whitlock or Whit Richie for uh,
1: Uh, Garrett Whitlock Yeah, Red Sox yeah
0: wanted Whitlock really badly but him being out with a designation and possibly being out for two to three weeks was concerning. So when I won Martinez, it was kind of like, okay, I got the safe, I got the safe option. Um, I was very happy with my draft overall after everything going out the window. And then I did was able to pick up Casey Myers on the wire. I was able to pick up um, John means business as well, which was huge for depth for me. Come, come, you know, June, July. So Mm -hmm. there's some nice pieces there. And uh, real quick, before we move on to some of our spring standouts here, as i have the draft up in front of me um was there any other teams that made some moves that you really liked or was there any value that you saw maybe mid middle of the draft end of the draft
1: yeah i really liked what um mike did in our draft he went from being in complete last place last year um, I think he had the most money, like near $200. He went out, he was the one that got Scherzer for 77 He got Mike Trout for 57 As much as the injury sucks, he did get el Iglesias from you. He stole Kodai Senga for 17 which was my fallback target. If I missed out on Harper, Trout, and Scherzer, I was going to go and get Blake Snell, but I figured the hype was getting too big on him and I wasn't going to be able to afford him. So I was going to target Kodai Senga. So... Right off the bat, his first four picks um, were all guys I liked. He was the one he ended up with, Cabrian Hayes, and he sneakily got Zach Eflin for a dollar, which I'm curious how that goes because the Rays um, picked him up and is the most paid player that the Rays have ever paid for a pitcher. And Zach Eflin's just a guy in my mind, but those Rays they know how to find th- a diamonds in the rough and yep. yeah, tune them up. And then the last one, three thir- at pick 313. He got Marcelo Zuna for $2. At the end of the draft, um, if I did not get Stan, I was looking at getting a Bellinger for $1, Marcelo Zuna for $1, dollar, Barr for $1. So he was um, on there. I mean, if I had Mike's team, he took pretty much 80, 90% of the guys that I liked going into He did get Brandon Drury, which I don't care for, but he is a utility guy. He got him for $1, so whatever. And then he got David Robertson for the Mets. So he completely rebolstered his relief pitching. And I, I really like what he did. The only thing I would mention is probably would have trying to see where he could I might have passed on Mike Trout if I were him and tried to go for Harper and then use that other money and got another pitching uh player. But overall, like I I think he really restructured his team and I'm curious to see how many wins he gets this year. I don't think it's quite in contention for the playoffs, but I think he might just miss the playoffs this year.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, as I'm looking at his team right now, Kodei Senga is probably his RP, two. if it's not. You know, he has Sandoval, Senga. Um, Sixto Sanchez is his franchise. Good God, that's, you know, someone needs to shake him a little bit. Trevor Rogers, we're looking for a bounce back. Uh, he, You know, you made a trade pre-draft, gave, gave him Andrew Painter, so he's got some prospect pedigree there. He's got some pieces. Uh, I think Senga, Scherzer, Rogers, Sandoval, like, that's a nice four that I'd be okay with. Obviously, looking at our league, it's very top-heavy. So, you know, you got some work to do. But, like, if Eflin can come in and provide a top 40 SP this year, you're talking about five pitchers that are giving teams a run now. And he's got Kumar Rocker as a keeper that could possibly come up this year. Um, his bats need some work, but adding Trout's really nice there, and I think we talked about this off-air after the draft, where in our league we designate, again, a franchise hitter and a franchise pitcher if you choose to. And even though he drafted Scherzer at 77 and, and Trout at 57, if, he, if they have great seasons and he wants to hold on to them, he just keeps them for 50 bucks each, goes into the draft next year and kind of restarts this all over again where he's still got a lot of money because he's going to let some of these guys probably like 6 to go, Um, So it'll be interesting. I think you're right. I think he did a really good job for himself. And I think the only other team that I was really quite satisfied with their ability on a shorter budget was probably our good friend Reeds. He was targeting a first baseman, um, had a lot of guys kind of pass him by. He ended up getting Roddy Telez for six, which I liked a lot. Jonathan India for three, who I do like for a bounce back. Not, you know, rookie season bounce back, but a good year. Uh, Austin Hayes for a dollar, I think, fills out that outfield real nice. He got Tyrick Skubel who's coming back from flexor flexor tendon surgery for six. You know, I think that's probably a play for next year. Craig Kimbrell at two. If he becomes the Phillies closer, that's a 40-save guy right there. Mike Clevenger for two, which, you know, we haven't really talked about him a lot because he's been, you know, in the headlines negatively. But Mike Clevenger at $2 on the White Sox, like that could be an 18-win pitcher right there. Um, If if we remember correctly, he did fight injuries last year, was coming back from Tommy John, knocking some rust off. So, like, Clevenger could be a bounce-back guy. Frankie Montas, he poached for me for $2, so that's a 2024 stash. And then Kyle Mueller, if he chooses to hang on to him, I think there will be some strikeout rewards, but probably not till July or August. Um, and it's hard to hold on to a guy for that long when you have roster crunches.
1: Yeah, with what he was dealing with, I really like what he did. I personally like the Austin Meadows and Jesse Winker. Austin Meadows was another one of those $1 outfielders I was targeting as just a, a punted outfielder when it's so shallow. And then Jesse Winker, he, my concern is he might play in a platoon and with we'll Sale Frelick coming up, nipping at the heels, there's going to be a lot of outfielders for this Brewers team. And I don't know if anybody, any of them are going to get full-time playing time, so that's why I was staying away from Winker, but if he does play majority of the time that'll be a nice pick for him
0: yeah and i think that's a kind of a good point for us to transition into some of the players that um we wanted to just talk about you know for those of you that still need to draft or those of you that have drafted and are looking at waiver wire pickups you know richie and i had kind of um jumped on this a few weeks back when we were recording that we would do essentially like a breakouts for spring episode and You know, we've kind of gotten so far through spring that like the breakouts have kind of already been publicized in a lot of different articles as well as podcasts. So we're not going to go fully in depth. We're going to touch on some guys that we like. And one of the guys is Sal Frelick. You kind of just brought him up there. He's a guy that obviously I just picked up in our Dynasty League and and a guy that I've been talking about a lot since the World Baseball Classic and I'm reading right now in the Milwaukee Journal-Sentinel um, that the Brewers came out, looks like, yesterday and said that it would not be a surprise for both Sal Frelick and Joey Weimer to both possibly make the opening day roster, which is bad news for both. Bad news for basically all of the Brewers' outfield, as you just alluded to. Um, I mean, it looks like they might really be going heavy platoon if that's the case, because Frelick's a lefty, Weimer's a righty. You talked about... Uh, our, our boy Jesse Winker being also a lefty. What do you what are your thoughts on Weimer also possibly making the team?
1: Yeah, I think somebody's going to be playing DH here, and I'm curious. Joey Weimer does have a lot of speed, so I'm curious if he's just their designated runner and doesn't really play that much. So that news doesn't concern me terribly. I think he's. They might just look at the matchups. Very analytic team. I could see them saying, okay, he does great. Ag- and I'm just throwing something out there. He does great against fastball cutters and left-handed hitters. So he doesn't start unless there's a left-handed pitcher that primarily throws the fastball slider 70% of the time. Okay, we'll throw Weimer in there for this this lineup. Something like that. Now, that's just an example, but something along those lines is what I see. I'm curious where Self-Frelick plays and how much time he gets is it going to be full-time i think it will be because you're not going to bring him up and not play him i mean at that point you might as well just keep him in AAA and get some seasoning um under him so yeah i think he will be up i told you before we started the podcast i view him as a Luis arise or steven kwan um light that you can get 200 picks later so i definitely like what you did with picking him up i also had a bid on him and I just was too chicken to go an extra dollar in the fab, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, I've got plenty of guys as it is. So well, you and, need him more than I do.
0: And those of you that, you know, have listened to our show regularly for the last couple of years um, will know kind of the position I was in at the end of the season last year in the playoffs where my team was completely stacked again, dynasty. I was able to sell off some prospects and some young players for elite level talent. I went out and I got Max Scherzer. I went out and I got Freddie Freeman. I had Aaron Judge. I had Jordan Alvarez. I, uh, I, you know, I, The list goes on and on and on, and I didn't win a championship because in the two-week playoff that we play in our head-to-head points league, uh, my guys were cold, and I said to myself, okay, what could I have done differently? And it was pretty simple. It was go out and pair your really big boppers with guys that are really consistent and are going to get you two to three points every single day. And I had already Corbin Carroll stashed and ready to go. And I was like, okay, who other profile players could I have that could pair well with him? And it was guys like Sal Frelick, guys that I know are going to hit 300. You know, maybe you're going to hit me 10 home runs, but are going to steal bags, are going to be really high in the doubles uh, classification, possible triples classification, are going to start every single day. Stephen Kwan was a really good name you threw out there because he's a similar player. It's about who are you pairing your big names with and like how did they. How do they help offset some of the slumps if the slumps come at the worst possible time? So something I'm always mindful of now, and I, I think Frelick is is perfect for what you said. If you're targeting a for a third, fourth outfielder in Roto or categories, and you you know you you like Quan, just wait because Frelick is the exact same player in my opinion. Like so much cheaper, even might have more upside. I I'm I'm kind of more of a favorite for Frelick. Now the problem is playing time. And we just spoke about that. It's, it's completely up in the air. We just don't know other than Jordan Walker, right? Like, he's the first big name for us to know. Okay. He's made it. We know he's going to have a role, you know, the sell like buy high now on Jordan Walker.
1: Long story short, don't draft Stephen Kwan. <laughs> That's all you need to know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Richie, you've, uh, you've put together a list of names for us. I kind of want us to talk about that first. Um, who are some of the guys that, you know, outside of the top 300, you're looking at on waiver wires or you've been targeting at the end of drafts if we are still drafting?
1: Yeah, that first one was um, Clark Schmidt. I know he doesn't qualify as a, a prospect, but definitely somebody I'm targeting for sure. I really like Gavin Stone this year. Ryan Pepio is slotted for the fifth spot, but he pretty much is a fastball changeup guy and struggles with command. Gavin Stone has the best changeup In the minor leagues according to Baseball America and is just phenomenal with his command so a little bit different than Pepio I think Gavin Stone gets a shot at some point Dustin May we don't expect a full season out of him I think there can be some phantom mile stints for him Noah Sindergaard is he really going to make a bounce back if he is it's going to be for the Dodgers or the Giants or the Rays those are the three teams that are known to have these reclamation projects and them be successful, but if either of those scenarios don't work out, or Clayton Kershaw goes on the aisle like he does every year, I think Gavin Stone can be that guy that comes up. It was, it was very, it was a bittersweet feeling when I traded him away to get Eloy Jimenez, but I do feel, feel that I have the ability to find the next Gavin Stone, but that is definitely a pitcher that I like. The other one that I like as far as pitchers go is Brandon Fott and Tanner Beebe. And I know you like both of these guys. I'll touch on Tanner Beebe. The Guardians just always have a way with developing pitchers in their minor league system. We joked uh, off the air that if we were a major league team, we would just go in and pay these guys double because They just develop these guys at a rate like no other, and just every one of them seems to succeed no matter what, unless you're Aaron Savale. but that's beyond the point. (laughs) But Tanner Beebe did add, I think, two to three miles per hour on every single one of his pitches, and he originally was a control guy, so he profiles similarly to what Shane Bieber did when he first was ascending through the minor leagues. Now, is Tanner Beebe the next Shane Bieber? Maybe. I don't know. But definitely worth picking up. I think at some point he's going to just blow away the minor leagues and he's going to be given a shot. There there has to be. Cody Morris was originally supposed to have that fifth spot. He's injured now. The door is there. If he can just prove that he's better than Gavin Williams or Daniel Spino. Daniel Spino's currently injured right now, as it said. So he's just got to beat out Gavin Williams. And he's already at AAA, if I'm not correct not mistaken. And Gavin Williams is at double A or single A. So he's already got the jump on him there. I think that's another pitcher that can be up. And then lastly is Brandon Fott of the Arizona Diamondbacks. He did get sent back to the minors, but he was the minor league strikeout leader last year. And I know you like him a lot, Matt. So I'll let you talk a little bit more on him and give my vocal cords a break here.
0: Yeah, I think Fott has the opportunity to be kind of our Alex Manoa of this season. And I say that in regards to not necessarily the ceiling that we saw from Manoa in his rookie year, but maybe just the consistent impact that we saw from Manoa when Manoa came up. He was in the lineup, of the, excuse me, the rotation all year around. You know, he provided that consistency for you where he was providing enough value where you could kind of set him and forget him. The problem with FOD is going to ultimately be the wins. You know, Manoa had this m- amazing Blue Jays team around him where he had a lot of run support, and Manoa has never really profiled as a strikeout guy. And that's where FOD definitely changes the equation here because FOD is the leader in the 2022 minor league season for strikeouts. He has the ability to also bring that to the major league level. He showcased it in spring. I think what we're talking about here is a 3.5, 3.75 ERA guy in his rookie season. Ultimately, I'd say probably 10Ks per nine. And I would expect that to get up to 11 as he gets more into the development at the major league level. But the big concern is obviously quality starts and wins. If you're in points leagues, that's what you need. And I just don't know that you're going to see a lot of that from him because, again, being younger, they're going to be cautious with him. They'll probably give him five innings. They'll take him out, maybe five and a third, five and two thirds, pull him out. Run support's also going to be an issue because as it stands right now, Corbin Carroll is kind of leading this team with Kettle Marte. And I just don't love the offensive production. You know, we have the individual from uh, Texas, the first baseman that's in the minor leagues that will be up eventually. You have Jordan Lawler who will be up um, again, young players, and then you have Drew Jones who's three years away. So the offense is kind of stagnant right now, and that's the one thing holding me back from you know really targeting Fod. Is a guy that I must have. Is that Hick? He might be two years away from being a, a, a top fifty guy maybe a top 30 because he's just not going to get the wins and the quality starts.
1: Yeah. I definitely like Brandon Fott this year. I don't know if I agree with Alec Manoa comp, but I I do like him this year and we'll see what happens at some point. He's going to be up the other guy I like. And I've been going back and forth on, as you know, off the air, but now that he's on my team, I can openly talk about him is DL hall. And he's a lefty for the Baltimore Orioles. If you're not familiar former top prospect has a filthy fastball filthy slider the one thing is he can't control it and we saw this profile with corbin burns spencer strider is dl hall the next spencer strider corbin burns i don't know because his command is way worse than either of those guys are and he's almost destined for a relief a long relief roll if he can't figure it out this year I'm willing to take the shot on him late in drafts or picking him up before the season starts because he is coming back from a lower back injury. He just had his first tune-up. It went okay. He had the strikeouts. He gave up a few runs, but it was because he left a couple runners on first and second, and then he got taken out of the game, and they then later came around to score. The thing with DLL is that they are currently stretching him out, so that makes me think that they're – kind of tuning him up to be in the rotation, or they're going to send him back to AAA to work on his command. Either way, points to good signs for him. The reason why I say that is because you look at this Orioles rotation, and yes, they signed Kyle Gibson and Cole Irvin, so I think those guys are locks because they went out and got him. But then you have Grayson Rodriguez. He's the number one pitcher in the organization, so I like that. Outside of that, you have Kyle Bradish and Dean Kramer. Those are just names. You did mention John Means coming back at the middle of the year, so that's a fourth spot there. But that fifth spot is completely open. I think if D.L. Hall can figure out his command, he surpasses Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, and Tyler Walls. No hesitation, no questions asked. So I'm willing to roll the dice on him this year.
0: Yeah, definitely think he's, uh, he's a guy that's worth a shake there. Um, I, I love D.L. Hall. Everything you said is spot on. He was a high-end draft pick. He... Paulo's in line with the Kyle Wright, Carlos Rodon profile that we like to go after. My only thing is I think his breakout 2024. Um, but hell, worth a shake. Like, if I had a roster spot, absolutely. Sign me up. And in, in deeper leagues, probably going after him. But again, like, you know, we have to kind of look at the things that we can, um, as can evaluate to see kind of where he is. And the only concern for me is injury. We've seen a lot of injuries with D.L. Hall, and, you know, that's something that plays in, right? Carlos Rodon, same thing. He had his breakout, injuries came back up. So, you know, even if we have a breakout from Hall, is it similar to, like, Rodon, where it's just like, hey, he's a bigger-bodied guy. He's just going to have these concerns, but definitely a name where if you're in a deeper league and you can go out and get him, pick him up, or draft him late, where you could end up with a guy that can give you 12, 13 wins if he can stick in that rotation, and again, this is an Oriole team that is expected to regress a little bit this season as they continue their ascension. I know that's kind of uh, um, an odd way to say it, but I do expect them to win less games this year. But they're, re- they're building the foundation for what will be five, six, seven years of contention in that NL East. And they need a guy like D.L. Hall, who they drafted so highly, to come and provide them value, whether that's in the rotation, whether that's in like a Josh Hader, middle relief, long relief guy. Um, he's got to provide impact to this team.
1: Yeah, and those are all the pitcher prospects that I like that are going outside the top three hundred. If we move along to the batters, I really like what these Reds have: Ellie De La Cruz, Christian, or yeah, Christian Encarnacion Strand, who had an amazing spring. Picked him up in our dynasty league. I think they're both up at some point this year. I like Brett Beatty for the New York Mets. He just got sent down, so that's a little bummer, but I do think he's up. Sal Frelick is out there. Tyler Sorderstrom for the Athletics. I think at some point he comes up. He has had a hot bat over the last year. Colton Kowser for the Orioles. I think he comes up sooner rather than later. And then a deep stash Royce Lewis for the Minnesota Twins was on the verge of a breakup before he tore his ACL for the second time for the Twins. So if you have the IL capacity, I would definitely pick up Royce Lewis and stash him on your bench.
0: Yeah, you you did that yourself this week, and I love that a lot. Um, you know, upside is what you're looking for after the draft, especially if you can IL a guy. You know, that has such a benefit to your ability to maneuver your own roster. I think Lewis was a guy I liked a lot. Frelick we talked about quite a bit. Encarnacion Strand could be possibly just a guy that blew spring away. Uh, when we were talking about looking at OPS leaders, he had like a 17 or 18. 100 OPS. It's like, okay, you did a pretty good job in spring. Um, We need to see, obviously, at-bats, but love the ballpark, love the approach. Like, he could be a guy that almost mimics Brandon Drury's production last year if he can play in 130, 140 games. And finding that week one on the waiver wire before other people do is huge. I also expect him up in the first three weeks. I think he's going to get sent back down. Some injury is going to happen, and he's going to be the first one promoted. And as soon as he gets gets a job, he's going to go out, and he's going to prove that he deserves to play every day because it's a bad team. And um, th- all those names were great. I, I have a couple I want to add. We saw the injury to Royce Lew- uh, Hoskins, <laughs> excuse me, this week. Reese Hoskins tearing the ACL, very unfortunate. Those of you who have already drafted, looking for replacements, it's kind of hard at first base. You know, we've talked a lot about Kyle Manzardo over the last couple of years in this podcast. He's a guy that's probably available, but in question as to when he'll come up. Um, Derek Hall, Philadelphia, big time. Uh, boost here and bump here five home runs in spring nine strikeouts and nine walks so you're seeing kind of that contrast there he has the ability to maybe be a little more patient uh batting 294 with a ops above a thousand again it's spring 18 games but Derek Hall should be available on most of those waiver wires um big game for me though and I've been pushing him for a few weeks is Anthony Volpe batting 317 this spring he was a triple side the uh cycle just yesterday three home runs, uh, maybe four now, just having a great spring. And I think at this point he's going to force the Yankees' hand. And for a lot of you, again, that have drafted, if you're in leagues where guys aren't fully paying attention, this could be the move that changes your season. If you're in middle infield um, leagues where you need a middle infielder, he is the guy I immediately slide into there. I think he's guaranteed 15-20, maybe 15-30 in regards to 15 home runs, 30 stolen bases. I think he's going to give you a 270 to 300 average. I think 300's a bit optimistic for his rookie year. I think 270 is probably fair. Good walk to strikeout ratio. Uh, Anthony Volpe is is the absolute must for me in any league right now.
1: Yeah, and I didn't include him just because he is going inside the top 300, but I definitely like your take on Anthony Volpe. And just one thing with the Reds, with Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand, is you look at who they have starting. Right now, they have Kevin Newman starting at shortstop. <laughs> and then at third base, they have Spencer Steer. Now, Spencer Steer's okay, but he's projected a bat 239 with a 419 slug. So nothing crazy that can't be replaced by Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand, which, if I'm their managers, why wouldn't you just let the the youth movement happen already and just get it going now. But I do like, uh, Derek Hall to replace Reese Hoskins. My concern is he is going to be Joey Gallo light bat two twenty, hit 30 home runs. Uh, but that's still usable, especially if you have Reese Hoskins and need to replace him. Definitely guy to, um, use.
0: Yeah. I was, I was listening to rates and barrels, which is the athletics, one of the athletics, baseball fantasy baseball podcasts. And, uh, I don't know, I don't remember who it was, Eno, but one of the guys talked about Newman, and he goes, I'm so sorry, like, it's uh, uh, just the truth, I want you to lose your job, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I don't mean to be, like, malicious towards you, but, like, there are other options behind you that I could use, and you're in the way of that, and, like, genuinely felt bad about what he was saying, but it's the truth, it's like, at the end of the day, this is the livelihood for some of these guys, but you talk about you know, opportunities beyond them. And, you know, Ellie De La Cruz, I'm really hoping, stays in the minor leagues for three or four months this season for the simple fact that I think he has some things within his swing he needs to figure out where he can really develop into being a hitter in the major leagues that can kind of bypass the O'Neill cruz issues, which, you know, no pun intended, they have the same name, but they're very similar profiles. And I think Ellie needs a little more time to kind of, like, work those, those kinks out in the minor leagues. I think if they bring him up right now, he's probably a 220 hitter. You know, a lot of excitement, a lot of fun, but like you gotta develop these guys before you rush them into these opportunities. Um, Jason Dominguez also an amazing spring. Obviously, I'm saying that because I own him, and I also own many of his signed Bowman uh, 10 grade cards. So, come on, Jason, I need to be able to sell these things for what I bought them for. Um, four home runs, four uh, 55 average, 1500 OPS. Finally, showcasing that prospect pedigree that we we heard about him as he was signed internationally. I think we could see him this season um, only in deeper leagues. Is he worth even thinking about? Cause the speed is kind of gone play discipline, three strikeouts, three walks, only 11 games. So, you know, not a lot to play with there. I'm bringing him up because we need to monitor his minor league success over the first couple of months. Really want to see if these four home runs translate is the power, something he's finally figured out. And is the discipline something he also is really locked in on. If it, if, if he has, you're talking about a bona fide superstar. Um, again, 11 games is a little bit too too uh, few for me to go on, but I did like what he did this spring. And then the biggest name is a guy that I'm, you know kind of pushing as Dark Horse MVP candidate that's Matt Olson. 15 games, seven home runs, uh, 10 strikeouts, seven walks, 462 average with the 1594 OPS. Matt Olson has looked primed. and this is something I wanted to bring up last episode and I didn't get a chance to if you think about players that have changed leagues, they're usually from the hitting perspective at a massive disadvantage the first year because they haven't seen a lot of the guys before. You know, changing leagues obviously gives you the opportunity for the pitchers to ultimately have the advantage. And I think Matt Olson for that fact alone was going to have a better 2023. And I think also getting more comfortable within the Atlanta organization, having that great lineup around him. I think there's a really good chance he hits 270 with 40-45 home runs and possibly wins MVP this season.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I'm a little hesitant You're, on Matt yes. Olsen just because it is. um, But that is because it is spring training, and a lot of these guys are double, triple-A players getting in split squad. But a lot of these guys are starting to get sent down now. So I'm going to keep a close eye on it over the next week until opening day. And if he's still swinging a hot bat and it's against these – pitchers that are trying to get their last feels in there trying to get the or tune-ups i should say like those five six innings and he's still crushing it i might start warming up to him but i am a little cold on him especially where he's going because you have to spend essentially a fourth round draft pick on him at that point i'd rather just spend a second round draft pick and get the f- surefire things of a freddie freeman vlad or a pete alonzo or even goldie for that matter and just i know they have it in him rather than roll the dice, and hope that Matt Olsen gets it done. But we'll see. If he pans out, this this could be your best prediction yet.
0: Well, and we've been waiting for him to be consistent, right? Like, he's been such a uh, boomer bust player throughout the months of fantasy baseball where some weeks he's just terrible, and some weeks he's leading your team to victory. So, you know, if he puts that together this season I'm expecting him to, it's more consistency. And – Uh, You really need that, obviously. Um, Transitioning into some players that are (laughs) underwhelmed. Um, Nolan Jones, Colorado, 23 strikeouts, 20 games, batted 170. I think the Nolan Jones breakout, we can just throw that right in the trash can. Uh, You and I joked a little bit before jumping on. Joe Adele, 19 games, 22 strikeouts, two walks. Yikes. Yikes. Joe, I'm so sorry what this organization did to you. It's time for a fresh start. Um, Christopher Ma- Morel for the Chicago center fielder, four home runs, so nice, Batted a 286, so also nice, but 21 games, 21 strikeouts, five walks. To me, the average th- throw it right out the window. I think what we're seeing here is a lack of play discipline that's going to seep into poor numbers in the regular season. Had a nice kind of waiver wire showcase last year. P- teams were picking him up and using him as kind of uh, spot starts. I think he had second base eligibility. I think that is gone. I think he's probably going to be floating on the waiver wire. And then, kind of a prospect that has had a disappointing spring, as well as like a disappointing come up last year. Mark Vientos, two home runs, did have 21 strikeouts though in 23 games. They gave him the opportunity to really get out there and showcase himself. But at 278, he was sent down today, so you know that dream is also cast away. Um, You know, just a couple names to keep an eye on throughout the the minor league season as well, but. I wanted to just toss a few names out there to uh, to kind of refresh ourselves as we talk about some guys that disappointed
1: yeah the Joe Adele experiment is one that I'm sorely disappointed in because I thought he was gonna be the next Julio Rodriguez or the next Ronald Acuna and get to those upper minors and just couldn't hit anything other than fastball if pitchers were relegated to only pitching fastballs, man, he'd be such a <laughs> stud. They both, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right, everyone. Well, I think that wraps us for today. The next podcast you will probably hear from us will be after the opening week. Um, you know, we might have one more in this in preseason. Look for that maybe next Monday, and uh, we'll kind of catch you up on everything we have. But until we see you, we'll see you next time.